I invite you to turn with me to our text today. Uh, continue to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 26 through 30. Daniel 3, 26 through 30. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together, saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. The Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. <clears throat> there are two verses in Scripture that speak of the wrath of man, which might seem a bit contrary one to another, but really they're not contrary at all. The first verse is in Psalm 76.10, which says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. Speaking of God, shall praise God. Here the psalmist takes that which we often fear so much, that is, man's wrath, that is brought against us because we obey the Lord, because we serve him. And he gives us a most powerful reason not to fear the wrath of man. And that reason in Psalm 76.10 is this, for the wrath of man will praise God. God will take man's sinful wrath against us who stand for his truth. And he will sovereignly turn that wrath around in such a way as to glorify himself. Either to glorify his justice in judging the wrath of man or by way of 
glorifying himself through mercy in rescuing us from the wrath of man. God overrules man's sinful anger to accomplish his, that is God's own wise and holy purposes. God's enemies certainly do not intend to praise him at all. But the Lord purposes that such will in fact be the case. For example, the wrath of Goliath against David, against David's God, against Israel. Goliath's wrath praised God because God brought justice on that day to Goliath as David slew him. And he brought mercy to Israel as God delivered Israel from the wrath of Goliath and all of the Philistines on that day. Indeed, the wrath of man did praise God. Or the wrath of Joseph's brothers, you'll remember, who sold him into slavery praised God, for God used that very situation to send Joseph ahead of his family in order to suffer many things, but then to be exalted, to be second in command in Egypt in order to preserve and to rescue his family during a time of great famine. Or the wrath of the Jewish Sanhedrin, praise God, in that it was their wrath, their envy, their desire to destroy Jesus that, from a human perspective, took Jesus to the cross. And yet it was through the wrath of man that God glorified himself and brought salvation to all of his people. Or the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar, praise God, because through Nebuchadnezzar's wrath, God's power and God's mercy to his people were revealed. So that is why, dear ones, we are not to fear what man can do unto us. Hebrews 13, 6. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Why? Because God turns man's wrath into a, a way, a means of glorifying him. Glorifying his justice or glorifying his mercy. Dear ones, if God can use even the violent anger of man to praise him, then we need not fear what man can do unto us. The second passage, remember I said there were two passages that speak of the wrath of man and seem maybe not to uh, be harmonized, but the second passage is, is uh, found in James 1, verses 19 through 20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Well, see, how do we harmonize these two passages? In one passage, the wrath of man shall praise thee. In the other passage, uh, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Well, again, God sovereignly causes man's sinful wrath against his people to praise him, to glorify him. But that does not in any way excuse 
uh, our, or justify our wrath, man's sinful wrath. This is God's revealed will, that we be not filled with anger, sinful anger. That's his revealed will to us. But even when we violate his sinful will, he's able to take, not that he justifies it, excuses it or condones it, but he's able, he's so mighty, he's so great, he's able even to take our wrath and our anger and to bring glory to himself, and particularly as our enemies, as in the case here in Daniel 3, as our enemies seek to pour forth the wrath upon us as we stand for Christ. Nebuchadnezzar sinned greatly against God in his display of anger by casting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery burning furnace. That was a, a wicked uh, act on his part. That was sinful. There was no justification for it. And yet God caused the sinful wrath of the king to praise him, that is God. The main points from our text today are these. God, first of all, God turns man's wrath into an opportunity to display his power and mercy. In Daniel 3, verses 26 through 27. And the second main point, God turns man's wrath to speak forth his praise. In Daniel 3, verses 28 through 30. So our first main point, God turns man's wrath into an opportunity to display his power and mercy. Look with me again at verses 26 and 27. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. You remember from previous sermons when Nebuchadnezzar heard the faithful testimony of these three faithful young men in verses 17 through 18. You'll find that testimony where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. That was their faithful testimony. They stood all alone, uh, all by themselves, out of all of those that were gathered there. And as a result of that, uh, we read that the Nebuchadnezzar was full, quote, the, the English text says, full of fury. Not just angry, but he was full of fury. 
and commanded that the furnace be heated to seven times hotter uh, than normal and that they be cast into that fiery furnace with all of their clothing yet on them. In verses 19 through 21, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. <clears throat> the furnace, in fact, was so hot uh, that the king's most mighty men that were appointed to throw them into the, uh, the furnace were instantly slain by the flames that leapt uh, from that fiery furnace in verse 22. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew these men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The faithful Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were seen by the king walking safely there in the furnace, unbound, no longer bound, unbound in the fire, fully clothed and communing with a fourth person, either a mere angel or the angel of the Lord, which is pre pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 24 through 25, the Nebuchadnezzar, the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. <clears throat> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were never alone. Even at the time of the king's most violent outburst of anger and tyranny against God and persecution brought against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were never alone. And dear ones, neither are you. Neither are you, dear child of God ever alone. You have God's promise, who cannot lie, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, Hebrews 13, 5. In facing your greatest fear, whatever that may be, your greatest fear, understand you are never alone. You never face your greatest fear. If you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal salvation, if he is Lord of your life, you never face your greatest fear alone. The presence of Almighty God is indeed a fearful prospect to the unbeliever. God's presence is not a source of comfort to the unbeliever. It is a source of great fear to the unbeliever. 
Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But God's presence is the source of greatest comfort to the believer, to know that Jesus is with us. We can face anything if we are simply assured that Jesus is with us. Having seen the three godly young men walking safely in the fiery furnace from a short distance, Nebuchadnezzar now draws closer to the entrance of the fiery furnace, getting as close as he can without suffering the same judgment that fell upon his mighty men that cast Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into it. And he calls them forth out of that fiery furnace in verse 26. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come thither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. Notice here that Nebuchadnezzar does not call the Most High God his God, my God, but he calls God the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God. However, though he did not own God to be his God, this is an amazing testimony from a heathen king that yet retains his own idolatry. Jehovah here is simply, in, according to Nebuchadnezzar, Jehovah God is simply the most high God among all the gods that the king worships. He simply is willing to say that he's the most high, but he's not willing to deny that there are other gods uh, that are lesser gods. And yet God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, according to the first commandment. It is notable that the three faithful young men here uh, that were bound, probably having been bound hands and feet when they were thrown into the fiery furnace <clears throat> are now unbound hands and feet and yet they're not trying to escape the flames uh, they're not trying to run outside flee outside of the flames they're not uh, they're not there uh, if there was a door, but even if there was no door, and they're not tr trying to escape the flames. They have to be called forth out of the flames by the king. They're very well content to stay in the fiery furnace as long as, again, the Lord's with them. And the Lord gave them, again, glorious visible presence whether it be a mere angel or whether it be the angel of Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, he was able, he, he, was, he gave them that, that presence, that visible presence uh, of, of the Lord at that time to Shadrach, 
Meshach and Abednego. That is why, dear ones, uh, I pray for you, I pray for me. It's what I pray for, for all of us, that we will be at complete peace. In the midst of the fires of persecution, in the midst of the fires of trial, in the midst of the fires of affliction, bodily affliction, heartache, loss, as we walk, with Jesus in the midst of the fire. As long as we know and believe that the Lord is with us, we can walk in peace. Just as they were at peace in the midst of the fire, we can walk in peace and not be screaming to break out of the flames and break out of the fiery furnace. We can walk in peace and even find contentment in the midst of the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar only calls forth three, not the fourth person. What happened to the fourth person? Well, obviously, he had vanished uh, bodily, though not spiritually. He had vanished bodily by that time. And we need to understand, dear ones, that the powerful sense of Christ's presence with us may come and go. The sense of his presence may come and go, but his presence never leaves us nor forsakes us. That's where we have to trust him. It's very easy when we sense and feel the presence of God to know that Christ is with us. But it's faith and trust that knows that Christ is with us when we don't feel that. Here, the Lord was with them in a very sensible way in the fiery furnace, but he wasn't there with them in the same way as Nebuchadnezzar called them forth from the fiery furnace. He had departed visibly, but he was still as much with them, though with them spiritually. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth from the fiery furnace. They are thoroughly examined and inspected by the king and by the king's officers in verse 27. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. So what did uh, these inspectors find? as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego exited from the fiery furnace. First of all, they found that there were no signs of burns upon their bodies. It says, upon whose bodies the fire had no power. <clears throat> this is, dear ones, a direct hit against the fire gods. Babylonians had fire gods. Uh, they worshipped gods uh, of that uh, pertain to fire. 
as well as to water and uh, other essentials, air. Um, and uh, so they had fire gods, but this was a blow to their fire gods. They had tried uh, to destroy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. And yet God showed there's no such thing as fire gods. I am the one who created fire. I am the one who controls fire. Not some so-called fire god, which are no gods of all. They were totally powerless before Almighty God, who created and controls fire. Not that uh, fire had not consumed others that Nebuchadnezzar had sought to destroy by means of fire. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 21 through 23, we see there that there were false prophets <clears throat> that Nebuchadnezzar had thrown into, they were Israelites, but false prophets that Nebuchadnezzar had thrown into the fiery furnace. And it says, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire in Jeremiah 29, verses 21 through 23. They were roasted. They were burned up. And so again, uh, because they had committed, it says in those verses, villainy against the Lord. Uh, they had committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and had spoken lying words in the name of God, which God did not command them. God had them. We don't know what reason Nebuchadnezzar necessarily threw them into the fire, but God's saying, regardless of the reason Nebuchadnezzar had in throwing them into the fire, it was his purpose, God's purpose, to destroy them by fire. And yet, again, we see that God preserved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of fire. <clears throat> we need to understand again that God the word of God says God is a consuming fire God is a consuming fire to the unbeliever Hebrews 12 29 consuming fire in fact in Deuteronomy 9 3 we read understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire, he shall destroy them, that is, destroy the enemies of Israel. As a consuming fire, he'll destroy them. And he shall bring them down before thy face, so shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord hath said unto thee. God's a consuming fire to the unbeliever, but he is, dear ones, a fire of protection to his dear children. Remember, the pillar of fire that separated Israel from the Egyptians at the Red Sea, that prevented the Egyptians from being able to attack Israel all the night as Israel passed upon dry land. The sea, Red Sea opened and they passed through the Red Sea. He was the pillar of fire that did not consume Israel, but protected Israel. He was the pillar of fire through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that protected Israel as the enemies of Israel saw this, this fire continually uh, 
which was, again, uh, the Lord by way of a representation showing he is a fire, a protection to his people and a consuming fire to his enemies that his enemies did not dare attack. The enemies of God did not dare attack Israel. And if we see likewise in Daniel 3, the very same fire that judged the most mighty men as they cast Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, that same fire became a fire of mercy in showing the power of God to the three godly young men who would not compromise their testimony for the Lord, even if it meant suffering death. This tells us again, dear ones, as we consider this, how that the, the fire, the same fire, consumed these mighty men that cast Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, and yet was a means that God used to show his power and his mercy to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It tells us, again, that the miseries of this life that we all experience, the miseries of this life, are a curse to unbelievers, but they are a mercy to believers, for Jesus has borne the curse of death and the curse of all miseries in this life, so that the miseries of this life that fall upon Christians are no longer a curse to us. Death is no longer a curse to us, though it is a curse to unbelievers who do not trust in Jesus Christ. It is a curse to them, a sign that God's judgment rests upon them, but it is not so to us because Jesus became a curse for us to deliver us from the curse so that now death and the miseries of this life that come to us by way of bodily afflictions and trials and persecutions are a means that God uses to sanctify us, to grow us in Jesus Christ, to cause our faith to increase through such persecution and through such affliction. <clears throat> we read next that these inspectors, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego exited the fiery furnace, we read, nor was an hair of their head singed. In other words, the most delicate part of the body to be affected by fire, namely the hair would certainly have been affected by fire um, ordinarily and normally. Uh, even their hair was not brought under the power of their so-called fire gods. Sadly, this is what the unbelieving world likewise does <clears throat> when God unleashes his great and mighty power in demonstrable acts of nature like hurricanes. Hurricane that has devastated a great part of Florida and other parts of the country uh, just this past week. Unbelievers call it an act of mother nature, an act of mother nature. They give it a God-like 
personality and power. You know, it's that simply heathenism. To call the mighty acts of God who controls hurricanes and governs tornadoes and earthquakes, to say that that is simply mother nature is to fall into the false religion of today of new age, to worship nature, to give to it a personality when in fact it is simply God who controls lightning, thunder, controls winds, controls earthquakes, controls everything. It is God that is in control, not some godlike personality called Mother Nature. This is simply the way of the unbeliever to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to God's righteous judgment that is on the earth. Now, not a righteous judgment upon those who trust in him, as we've already said, death and all the afflictions of this life are no longer a curse to believers. They may go through the same fire, they may go through the same hurricane, but it's not a curse to believers. It's a means of sanctification to believers. But it is a judgment. It is a judgment upon the wicked. And to deny that is to deny what we find taught to us throughout the word of God. That God controls all of these things. He either restrains uh, those mighty acts of nature or he's, he releases his restraint and those mighty acts of nature fall by way of his judgment. Isaiah 26 verses 9 through 10 says, listen closely, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. So when God sends blessings, man does wickedly. And God brings upon a nation for their wickedness, for their turning away from him, such judgments for our national sins. Does our nation deserve God's judgment? Well, our nation encourages. Encourages the butchering of children that have been told they are a different gender than their actual biological sex. And they are butchered. They are given hormones. They are treated as guinea pigs. Our nation protects sexual abuse and pornography and calls it freedom of expression and promotes the murder of unwanted children rather than preserving their lives by way of adoption. Our nation worships the false gods of the past like Nebuchadnezzar, nature. Worships nature uh, in, again, new age religions. 
worships the false gods of the present. Pleasure, power, sex, reason, worships self. Yes, our nation deserves God's, God's judgment because we have enacted as laws to promote and to protect the ungodly and the wicked, the blasphemers against our most holy God. May God grant that we learn his righteousness, that we learn to follow and walk in his commandments as a nation and repent of our unrighteousness and turn in faith to Jesus Christ to deliver us from his righteous judgment that is upon us. Finally, as they inspected the clothing of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we read that there was not the slightest even discoloration to the fabric. It says, neither were their coats changed. No discoloration from the flame of fire. Nor was there even the smell of smoke under clothing. It says, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. What a sight this must have been. There was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in the midst of them. And here we see the king and all of his chief rulers as they get closer and closer and they begin to touch them, as they begin to handle their garments, as they begin to get closer and smell, if they can smell anything on them at all going through their hair to see if any of their hairs have been singed. These inspectors were not favorable at all to these three godly young men, neither was the king in his wrath, and yet these idolaters become God's witnesses to this mighty miracle performed by the living God. God caused, dear ones, the wrath of man to praise him and use the king's wrath as an occasion to show his power, to show his might, to show his mercy to his people. The second main point God turns man's wrath to pray to speak forth his praise in verses 28 through 30. The Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve their nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar, you recall, had made 
a very proud boast when he pretended to be mightier than God himself in verse 15. He said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And notice what he said by way of taunting the one true living God. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? He now has to swallow his pride and confess before all of the world before all of the world, that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not his gods, but the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is the one true living God, is the, at least, the God who is greater than all of his gods, and who is alone able to save out of his hands. In verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. <clears throat> sent his angel again from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. Uh, The fourth person in that fiery furnace was some messenger from from heaven, even in his polytheistic uh, worldview. He saw that as some messenger, which he calls, uh, again, um, angel simply means messenger. But uh, that does not mean uh, that it was necessarily, it could have been a mere angel, Uh, that was sent from heaven to protect them, but it also does not mean that it could not have been uh, the angel of the Lord. It could have been the Lord Jesus as well, who is called the angel of the Lord. Many times in the Old Testament, Jesus is called the angel of Jehovah. For example, in Exodus 3.2, the burning bush, and from that burning bush in Exodus 3.2, says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. But then it goes on to say, as you read the narrative and the account, that Jehovah, the Lord, Jehovah was that angel of the Lord that was speaking to him. Here we see, dear ones, by way of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, confession, how God humbles the proud. God humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. James 4, 6. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. See, if we do not submit ourselves to God, God has his ways of humbling us. And he will. He will humble us. He will bring things into our lives in which we will 
say, Lord, help me. He will bring upon unbelievers his judgment. He will bring upon those who believe and trust in him his chastening. If we exalt ourselves in pride, he has the power and he will do so. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Nebuchadnezzar here even honors the faithfulness of these three young men who did not surrender, who did not capitulate, who did not compromise their supreme allegiance to God when they faced the most severe consequences of a burning, fiery furnace. They did not compromise. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar honors them. He honors them for disobeying his tyrannical command to bow down and to worship his image. Even they were willing to do so, even to the point of suffering death in the fiery furnace. Notice what he says. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his who had sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, notice, and have changed the king's word. That is, they changed the king's commandment. The king commanded to bow down and worship. They changed and said, no, we're not going to bow down and worship. And so now he's commending them for changing the king's commandment and yielded their bodies, willing to sacrifice even their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. He honors them now. So God turns man's wrath here to declare God's praise. Now this was obviously unheard of by a totalitarian king that had, as far as the world is concerned, had the power of life and death in his hands to say, they are to be honored because they disobeyed me and honored God above all. At the day of judgment, that final day of judgment, all will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2.11, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, what is happening here with Nebuchadnezzar is simply a preview of things to come. What he professes all people will profess at that day of judgment. Not believingly, because Nebuchadnezzar professed it, though he was not a believer in the one true living God alone. He still maintained all of his false gods. But on that final day of judgment, the 
there will be no one who does not profess, in effect, what Nebuchadnezzar professed. Let us now, even unbelievers presently, those who are unbelievers now will profess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Their wrath in this life against the Lord Jesus and turning away from him shall praise him on that final day of judgment. Let us, therefore, dear ones, let us do now willingly from a heart of faith and love what even the wicked will be compelled to do from hearts of fear on that last day. Nebuchadnezzar is so overwhelmed by the power of God, but not brought, as we said, to worship only him or to repent of his idolatry, that he issues a decree that anyone, anyone who speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut to pieces with a sword, sliced to pieces with a sword, and that their homes will become dishonored uh, and basically become a latrine, a dunghill. Uh, their property, their inheritance, their possessions would be uh, publicly shamed in that way in verse 29. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. <clears throat> Dear ones, if a pagan king at that time made it a law that God's name not be blasphemed, how much more should the laws of our land do so for the gospel has been proclaimed within our land for hundreds of years. We have received far greater light as a nation than Babylon had at that time. We are more accountable to prohibit, therefore, by way of our laws, to prohibit false religion, idolatry, blasphemy against the triune God of the Bible, and the fact, dear ones, that we don't do that is why God's judgment is falling upon this nation in the form of wicked laws, in the form of wicked leaders, in the form of wars, corruption in high places, perversion in every way, murder, whether it be murder of the most vulnerable in the womb or whether it be murder in the streets, violence, economic ruin, natural disasters. There ones, how many people look at this and did God intend in recording this to say, Nebuchadnezzar, you should never have made such a decree. Is that what God is saying by this decree of Nebuchadnezzar, saying Nebuchadnezzar should never have made such a decree? 
that he would punish those who blaspheme the name of God? Or is that an example to all rulers? That our laws should not permit the blasphemy against the one true living God and against all of his holy commandments. Nebuchadnezzar promoted or prospered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their positions in the civil government. Verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. <clears throat> because they were not required to swear an oath <clears throat> to uphold that which was evil, that which was contrary to God's commandments, in fact, they were willing to, to die first before they did disobey God's commandments. They could serve in a pagan government and bring honor to God and protection to God's people in that situation. They that honor the Lord, God says he will honor in 1 Samuel 2.30. They that confess Jesus before men and are not ashamed of him and his truth, Jesus says he will confess before his Father which is in heaven. However, those who are ashamed of the Lord Jesus, Jesus says he will not confess before his Father, which is in heaven. How many professing Christians today have a profession that's similar to that of Nebuchadnezzar? There's an acknowledgement that God exists, that he is creator, that perhaps he's even savior but they will not bow the knee to surrender their lives, their entire lives, to him. Does your profession, does my profession, sound more like Nebuchadnezzar's? The God of, Abra uh, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Uh, that it's, he's acknowledged to be a great God, but somebody else's God? Or is our profession like that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verses 17 and 18, where they say, and call God our God, if it be so, our God, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, our God. You see, we will only be delivered from that fiery furnace that lasts for all, forever in hell when God doesn't simply become somebody else's God or is simply acknowledged to be a great God but when he becomes our God and how does he become our God by way of faith and trust in him receiving him by faith alone, Jesus Christ by faith alone, as our own personal Savior and God and Lord before whom we submit all things. Then he becomes our God. And our, tes our testimony then becomes like that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and not like that of Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar's profession, dear ones, will not save you. It's the profession of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he is our God, that he is my God by faith and trust in Jesus Christ that alone will save you. Please stand with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do exalt thee, praise thee, for thou art our God, the God of our salvation, our Lord, our Master, our King. We thank thee for our, our Savior and our King, the Lord Jesus. And we renew our covenant even now in our own hearts, Lord, too to receive thee and to follow thee. Lord, may we be those who are willing to count the cost to stand for Jesus Christ. Whatever it may bring our way by way of consequence, we're willing to count the cost because thou art our God, the God of our salvation. We thank thee that thou hast already by thy promise in Jesus Christ delivered us from the flame of hellfire, that fiery furnace that burns forever. Through the promise of God that thou wilt deliver us from all condemnation, from all, uh, from the penalty of our sins, which our sins justly deserve through trusting in Jesus to be our sin bearer, to be the one who carried and bore the wrath of God on our behalf. Lord, we plead with thee that thou would work within us both to will and to do thy good pleasure. We ask, Lord, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.